Here's the thing, Steve. Yeah. I realize that um, taking like outfit of the day pictures and putting it on Instagram, mm -hmm. at least as a guy, is kind of weird, right? <laughs> Are you thinking about doing this? <laughs> no, but it is also why I use this podcast, this video podcast, mm -hmm. as an excuse to like, you know, never yeah. repeat the same shirt. Yeah, and this is the thing, because I actually love fashion and I would love to just, I like buying clothes, really. I don't do it very often because I feel like I don't have anywhere to wear them. I don't do anything. I just, I mean, I, I'm That's around the, the house problem. and when I'm when I'm working on a video or something, I, I don't want to overdress. That would just be ridiculous, you know, so I don't. <laughs> this podcast gives me a reason to dress up and feel good about it and not feel like I'm kind of putting it out there because it does seem weird when someone's like, hey, here's actually, you know what? Aside from Michael Buckley, Michael Buckley can get away with it. <laughs> He's doing some handstands. You follow him on Instagram, don't you? Did you see his, his handstands? Mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's doing handstands. Yeah, he does handstands and he tries to like spin around. Uh, he he's, has a goal of, I thought the goal was like, oh, I'm going to do a handstand. No, the goal is to do like 12 spins on, on his hand or something. <laughs> Michael Buckley is my favorite follow on Instagram. He always makes me smile and brings some positivity to my feed. My goal is to do 57 push-ups on my 57th birthday. So I and have if you were to do, the, how many would you do? If, if I were to challenge you right now to like go and do as many push-ups as you can, how many do you think you could do? 45, because that's where I'm at right now. I've been working on this for a while. And so the goal is to do 57. So, and they have to be like legit push-ups and then all in a row. And um, so my trainer is, you know, he's like, yeah, you can do that. And he, he always, he prefaces it with, you know, there's no value to that. It's not helping you. And I know I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's just like a cool goal to try, reach, try to do this thing. And he's like, all right, well, we'll do it then. Your, so. your trainer is aware of the encouraging aspect of his job where he's yes. supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny though. He's like, he's like, okay, that's fine. He's like kind of snickering like, well, that's just, you know, it's not going to make you bigger or stronger or anything, but it's fine if that's a goal you want to do, if that makes you feel good. <laughs> but I, it's like, I just want to be able to post the video and put it on Instagram so that people can call me out for like not doing it right somehow. Man, that's a, oh man, I, it, I I don't know. You post any kind of fitness related stuff on Instagram, you're going to get called out by the gym bros. And maybe that's my concern about posting like a fashion pic because like <laughs> I think it's good. But what if other people are like, why are you posting? Your outfits are ugly. But yeah. I was looking at uh, Aaron's <laughs> recent video, Alpha M. You know, we had him on yes, the show Aaron a couple Marino. years ago. Damn, man, his his thumbnails, are, he's getting to the oh. point where I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if YouTube's going to like ding him or something at some point, because he's like really pushing the boundaries of not just good taste, but, <laughs> but of like what's, I mean, he, it, he had one last, and, I, and it's funny, I just pulled this up to look at it, and I see that he changed it a little bit, and now it says, do this to make women respect you. And okay, so here's the thumbnail. It's a, uh, and I, I don't mean to be calling out Aaron here. It's like, this it is just, it's, it's not really him. I mean, it sort of is, but he, he just yes. is playing this game. So <laughs> it's got this finger pointing at this woman who is clearly, it's this camera angles above her. She's wearing like some lacy lingerie and looking down on her like she's on her knees. And then the, the, 
title on the thumbnail just says respect. He's pointing at her, but he changed it because it originally, and I should have taken a screen cap of it because I was going to send it to you. It said, make her obey. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. That's just like, it reminded me of the, the Smell the Glove album of Spinal Tap. You've seen Spinal Tap, haven't yes. you? Yes, yeah. I have. Yes. <laughs> They're like, what? You can't do this. You, she's got a collar around her neck. <laughs> oh. And you're right. I mean, even and if this is a tamer one, I mean, still, come on, though. Like, and you know what? Is it actually working, though, at 37,000 views in four days for a channel that has six and a half million subscribers? I don't know, because he, he said when he was on our show, he doesn't do a video unless he has a sponsored spot in it. And, and those sponsored spots pay him pretty well, I think. He does mm. all these fashion brands and... And we also know a lot of people who just kind of like put out content now just because it's, you know, it's a bucket which needs to be filled, but it's not the same thing as it was five years ago or yeah. even three years ago for a lot of creators. A lot of people just kind of going through the motions. Have you, have you, have you looked at the trending tab recently? No. And this, is, this is part of the reason why maybe these thumbnails don't work is because now everybody just kind of does that trending always looks the same it's a different face it's a different shocked happy face <laughs> uh, but it really is it's just a series of different youtubers who kind of get that mr beast attention yeah. for a while and happen to like have really colorful well-constructed thumbnails and uh, you know and we'll probably get into this because we both uh watched tiffany's video about mr beast oh which yeah was a beast of a video. What a good video. Huh? It was good. It was it was kind of a scathing review of Mr. Beast from Tiffany. And I, I'm glad she did that because I think she pointed out a lot of things that a lot of us have been thinking for a while. It's not like people haven't been critical of his content before, but it seems to be this overwhelming, like almost cult of personality that he's established. Yeah, and when when you break down the stuff which is actually done for the betterment of the world and all of that, and then you realize how much he kind of benefits personally, <laughs> especially and financially, and he even says that you know that's just like yeah. his thing is like, well, yeah, it's good for content, and I'm he's like obsessed. I mean, with literally content, yeah. obsessed with the algorithm and content and doing every every thing he does is meticulously planned to supply this i don't even want to say a need or this this thing that people are going to respond to there is one person he's clearly missing on his team which is someone who would sit down at the boardroom table and say that making a video called how i cured or whatever curing ten thousand people of blindness and da 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 it's just like um like tone deaf it's yeah. just like like we get it you can kind of do anything but no one had the reason to be like hey is this you know, is this kind of like a, you know, slightly, you know, uh, it's charity porn. Yeah. Yeah. It is, but it's now it's it's dealing with with people with a, a disability of some sort, and he kind of makes it really about himself. And you can certainly help people out without having to make a huge public spectacle of the thing. And and let's be real, what he did was he just provided money to do some cataract surgery for most of these people, right. which isn't. Exactly. And the, the thumbnail, it, it has him like looking like Jesus or something. Right. The kid has this right. bandage over his the head. on the shoulder. I mean, I, I think he's getting like this God complex or something. And it, it's not, 
I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for him, but he's so young right now. What is he, like 24 or 25 years old? And yeah. he like makes joke tweets about, would you vote for me if I ran for president? Well, I don't think that's such right. a joke. I could see him yeah. very easily in 10 years running for president because you know he's going to be the first YouTube billionaire and not, not too far away. He's already like, he's the number one subscribe to channel now, isn't he? Of real, uh, real YouTubers. Yeah, 137. Like he's blown past uh, Pootie Pie by quite a few now. So, um, but there was, there was that, there was that point that was made in Tiffany's video, which, so at first I was just like, this is, this is just, um, tone deaf. Like he could have done a whole bunch of other stuff or spent money in a different way, or basically found a clickbait video without having to like push on those kind of sensitive emotional buttons, mm -hmm. especially for something that affects a really large percentage of people. And the the disingenuous way that he kind of presented the cured in the yeah. in, in the title and one, and I didn't think about the the meat of the video. I kind of watched loosely scrubbed the video to kind of see, and it looked like a very typical Mr. Beast video. And I didn't think much of whatever I kind of paid attention to. But in Tiffany's video, she she included a TikTok reply from from someone who uh, pointed out uh, that. Um, uh, it was said in the video at some point it's like we're we're like literally changing these people's lives or turning these people's lives around by giving them their sight yeah. back we're giving you your life back like they didn't have a life right like i have a perfectly fulfilling life while being blind you're giving me my sight back and i appreciate that and i i hadn't really thought about it at that point but uh she then drives the point home later in the video by talking about jimmy's just like a fascination with just views and analytics and clicks and, and breaking down a video into every single component. It's like, if you can do that, do that with, do that with your safe topics and stick to like, I, if you can fit this Lamborghini in a dot, you get to keep this Lamborghini. Mm -hmm. Like that's fine because Lamborghini owners probably aren't going to be offended by it. However, you know, maybe stay out of the like sick kids hospital rooms <laughs> and, and like using that for like the, the disingenuous purposes, yeah. which it is now coming across and rightfully being called out for. And by the way, when he gives somebody a Tesla, you know, somebody who it seems like they have nothing and he's giving them a Tesla, is he also going to be paying for like the insurance on that car and the maintenance? And it's like hard to register it when you don't have an address. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's very weird. He likes to say that his goal is to make the best videos, the, the world's best videos. Or he says he actually does make the world's best videos, I think is his claim. And that's like such a bold statement when and it's like tiffany pointed out it's like really i mean they're yeah. not the best videos frankly but you know that's a taste kind of thing too there's i guess anybody can make that claim and if you're looking for someone who gets the biggest i mean publishing a video and getting 100 billion views in in five days is something either a singer can do with yeah. their huge number one massive hit or bts or like whatever like it can certainly be done but like for an actual YouTuber to make YouTube style content and pull those types of numbers like. Yeah, I mean, he's like a pop star. He, he, it's like, right. I have a feeling that every second of every video of his is so calculated that like, right. it gets to like the 37 second point. And he goes like, okay, right here, it's gonna drop. So what we gotta do is we gotta throw in a, a quick shot of, right. of you know. Oh, and this we need sound to, effect. Yeah, and, and it's crazy how, 
it's just like engineered these these videos are so perhaps he's making the perfect video as far as uh, like audience retention statistics mm -hmm. are concerned i'll give you that i will give you you figured out how to whatever but that has actually to my earlier point of looking at the youtube trending tab it's literally turned everything into this bland yeah because everybody wants to do the same thing now he needs to do something to actually change and keep that audience do yeah. something different because you're really doing the same thing over and over and over again aren't you people Mr. love Waste? it as long as it works and these kids well, now kids he's getting in trouble it. for it yeah <laughs> well, so I think people what's are just next starting. how does he and you got to expect that when you're the biggest youtuber on the planet soon to be the first youtube billionaire you got to expect some criticism and then it, it's weird because and i don't do twitter but what tiffany was showing was his response to like oh against the haters and she's like yeah. really it's like one yeah. tenth of one percent of the comments right. everything is just basically this kind of is a cult of personality surrounding him i got i mean it must change your view of the world when you walk into a shopping mall after opening your first hamburger restaurant and having twenty five thousand you know people are just chanting your name and everything you do it be such an extravagant over the top i guess the pressure is immense to like keep topping it and keep yep. getting bigger and bigger and at some point i he's gonna have to do one where he gives away his entire net worth he's going to have to he's going to he'll clickbait himself bankrupt <laughs> but you know what would happen that video would make him on twice as much money yeah and that's, that's just the, the thing is that he says well i'm giving away all this money but the more money he gives away on a video he doubles that in right how much that video makes so right. there's you know and so, i don't mean to be i mean i guess i am being cynical about it but i, I guess you, you have to look at it a little bit um skeptically i understand i, I understand it's a catch-22 like if he's trying like he's doing the best he can to do yeah. as much good as he can and he has done a lot of good so yeah to, to further to your point I, i'm certainly not taking a jab at the guy the other thing he brings up and this isn't just him it's like everybody it's almost become this catchphrase and i touched on this last week we were talking is this thing that I, everybody says now, it's like a mantra if you're creating videos. It's like, as long as you're creating videos that add value, if you add right. value, well, that's such a bullshit thing to say because every video on YouTube adds value to somebody. If somebody's watched it, if you have, if you get a hundred views on a video, those people watched it in some way, they got some value out of it or they wouldn't have watched it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And how do you, and how do you define the, the value of yeah. the, like old videos, which have done crazy well of like a kid losing a tooth and being high on a drug and like that being. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's providing value. But I think what it is, is creators like to use that to justify whatever game they're playing and this is what you yeah. see with the thumbnail game and the title game yeah. is that the the here's the thing everybody says now it's not clickbait what i do it's an enticing title with an enticing thumbnail right. and as long as i can get them to watch my video they'll see that i'm providing them with value <laughs> <laughs> there's there's the elevator pitch of every YouTuber who makes these titles and thumbnails now. Yeah, that's and that's it. And that's actually made everything the same. So we now have this soup and it's led to me having far less interest in my analytics recently and like paying attention to all of this stuff because I seem to like want to push away from it and redirect my focus to just kind of like what feels and making videos. 
making videos that it's like it's like this is the type of video i want to mm -hmm. make regardless of how many views it gets and of course i'm certainly still interested in views but like it doesn't even phase me anymore when when you just like launch something and it has a number associated yeah. with it and i realize it's just eh, it's kind of like, over it that you know i'm just like i want to get back to just enjoying making videos make a good living at it and i, I love I love making videos. I love making woodworking projects. Those are the two things I love doing. What I absolutely loathe is coming up with thumbnail and a title. It's just like the worst, absolute yeah. worst part of my job. I, I just yeah. hate having to do that for every fucking video to come up with, oh, what are people going to oh. click on? And what, how can I word this What's in such a way that's... All I need to do is get them there so that they can see the value. <laughs> what, what should I circle? What should I point an arrow to? Oh. What is the one frame of this yeah. video which has 278 million frames in it? Which one frame is the one that makes it appealing and engaging and has my face and is this and is that? And doesn't that just like take away? But like it's it like the, the, con the contents of your, 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 your package is like so you know, incidental to the outside packaging and how glitzy and I mean, I get it. That's the way things are, but whatever thumbnail and title I go with, it's going to be wrong. I will always think it's yes. wrong. I'll never yes. be happy with them. And then, do you still, do you still go through and check older ones and change the mountain? Da, da, da. Really Remember no. when we used to do that? Remember all that effort we used yeah, to spend? We tried that. that for a while with the whole AB mm -hmm. testing and everything. And I think after doing, we did that for what, a year, a little bit longer, maybe. And it just yeah. felt like I don't know if it really has that much of an impact. I mean, globally across your channel. I mean, maybe you can and tweak you, one video here and there, but I don't know. All, and ultimately what the payoff is, is like an extra kind of few views. And you realize that it's all just still for like the same commodity. It's all mm -hmm. still for views. It's not like you're changing the thumbnail to better represent the video. You know that it would be a much different thumbnail that you're putting on your video if it was the thumbnail that you wanted to put on there. Oh yeah. And that was that was it. That's actually what started me changing our thumbnail styles like a year ago where it was like, ugh, I literally just want to do what I think is way different than everybody else. And thankfully you know that actually now stands out because everybody else is kind of doing the same thing. did i tell you about my my experiment i ran on my last short and shorts are, are different because you can't put thumbnails on shorts so it's all about the title and so <laughs> i had that one which was a clip from a box making video it wasn't doing anything so i changed the title because i wanted to get those dollar signs in there i changed it to would you pay $3,700 for this simple box? It's just a question. It means nothing. Nobody paid that. Nobody was asking that. I wasn't trying to sell it. It was just nothing. It was just a simple question I put in the thumbnail. And ever since then, the the views just went up. It's at 238,000 views now. And it was just people answering, what, are you crazy? And people getting like angry and just answering, no, no, no. And so every time somebody would say, no, are you crazy? I would just give them a, a heart, you know, a thumbs up. <laughs> yes, and, but I actually put a, a disclaimer. I, I put on the top comment, and if anybody read it, the, the pinned comment, I was like, are you tired of these types of titles? Well, this is what it's come to. <laughs> <laughs> putting these dollar signs in here. <laughs> but the the last the last one I did was a genuine title, um, Some Things You Can't Buy. And I thought that was kind of a good title for a video, which I was actually talking about how there's just some things you, you can make 
um, that you just you can't buy, you know, and that's the, the, the joy of being able to make things. But after I got to reading that for a while, I realized, and this thing has even more views, and this was just two weeks ago, 250,000 views on this short, because you can read that two ways. And I didn't realize that. Some things you can't buy, but you can also read it as, here are some things you can't buy. <laughs> some things you can't buy is different than some things you things. can't buy. It's true. The nomenclature really makes a thing different. <laughs> so I let people interpret it however they want. I don't care. But the, I'm I'm kind of done with playing around with those shorts like that. It's just, yeah. I will compliment you on three of your thumbnails. Um, safety basics, where you have your finger on a saw blade. A lot of good just, that I'm did me. You see the, the <sighs> views? That's my worst video out of I the last know. 10. <laughs> well, you know you know what? The people who are looking for the definitive guide to woodworking safety. Oh, wait, not my safety video. It's not my lowest. I'm sorry. That was my that one's tool, okay. tools video. Yeah, safety one's doing okay. Uh, you're, yes, you're, t you're, you're new to... Right. So, hey, let's talk about that thumbnail. Why'd you go with the, the uh, rainbow-colored uh, drill? Because <laughs> it triggers uh, people. <laughs> no. Is it the same thought behind the finger? On, why do you put a finger on the saw? Is it because that looks like a dangerous thing, so that will be compelling? Um, I, maybe. I, I think that was kind of it. You know, a finger on the blade, and then the, the tools and supplies that you need. I don't know if it's a good thumbnail, because it's the least viewed video of mine. So, but I'm not going to change it. I think it just shows, I don't, I think no matter what I change that to, it's just yeah. not the type of video that people yeah. are going to, you know, flock to. So, and, and I, it's okay. And I don't think, I don't think the success of that video would be dictated upon that thumbnail. I think that's the best possible thumbnail you could put there. Cause I literally got that feeling of like, Ooh, I really want to, you know, is that something I can safely do? Can I touch my saw blade? Or <laughs> does this video feature this man cutting his finger off with the saw blade? You could put blood everywhere. You That's what I should do. Your I do it on my Halloween videos. It's very true. Uh, and I do like your 10 best holiday gifts for woodworkers where you have that very, 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 very big smile. I tried to do a real cliched thing because everybody was doing these gift guides and they're all just... Uh, the holiday gift guides are just like, here is a whole bunch of affiliate links. Click them. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just did like, I took like a stock photo and left the watermark on it and everything of some gifts. And then I did the YouTube thing and I did the arrow and the best gifts for woodworkers. And I thought that would be kind of funny. I got a couple of messages from people from our last podcast who A, said it was nice uh, to hear a podcast, just the two of us, which was fantastic. And I must say, it was so nice to do this. And I'm yeah. happy that we're back to, to, to doing this as we are. Um, but uh, also, um, some who agreed with the uh, setting of New Year's resolutions, setting similar mm. New Year's resolutions to uh, me, us. And I just wanted to do a quick check-in with you. Yeah. Um, and we'll do this each podcast okay for the next two weeks <laughs> till we get tired so remember <laughs> while we still remember to do it uh how's your new year's resolution i'm doing great with it i mean they were not the most difficult ones but i finished my first book of the year which i'm very proud of i <laughs> i never thought i'd be proud to say i finished a book but i did, you did. and so now i'm on i'm going to start my second book yeah i finished it just a little after january i think it was like february 3rd i finished that book and after i read it I closed it up and I thought, huh, 
That was good. I'm glad I did that. And then I'm left with this book. It's like, what do I do with the book? Which is kind of like a, it used to be I was a, a collector of books and I would have, when I finished reading them, I would put it on its prominent space on the bookshelf, never to be looked at again. And especially a, a fiction book, there's no <laughs> reason to keep it. I'm never going to read it again. So it's kind of this dilemma. I thought about just throwing it in the recycle bin, but there's something that's almost, I don't know, maybe it was in my upbringing or something that just, it feels like sacrilegious somehow to throw a book away when I could, you would toss away any other kinds of paper and junk mail and stuff. It's just paper. So instead, I can, I'm going to, I'll donate to Goodwill and just so I can alleviate uh, that. I have a, a suggestion and you can take it for what it's worth. You should make a woodworking project of making a community library. Oh, one of those little, little libraries. Yeah, those little, yeah. Post it on the side of the thing, take a video. Everybody will love it. It's like, look at Steve giving back to the community. And there won't be any like Mr. Beast uh, pushback because you're not claiming that you're, you're, oh, you could say I'm curing illiteracy, illiteracy one, book at a time <laughs> okay and then perfect and then i'm on it yeah all right Write i'm gonna cure illiteracy that's my goal for the year so oh and then the other thing i'm doing is the i might i'm doing my coffee break i'm yep. still sticking to that i enjoy that i it's still really hard for me to sit still for it takes five minutes to drink an espresso but i could just to sit there is still a challenge but i do it and i, I enjoy it and chest to be. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, I'm proud to say that uh, I, I I use my phone very little, so little that I miss important phone calls. That's a bit, a bit of the downside. You get phone uh, calls though. See, I don't ever get phone calls. Occasionally, um, usually just in emergency situations. Mm -hmm. So it's probably times that I should be answering the phone. However, I'm not. Um, I'm desperately trying to find my uh, other ones that I wrote down, but I can't. But however, the most important one is one that I have been doing and I have done. Uh, every single morning, which is waking up and working out and going for a walk and taking time to meditate. Nice. And follow up to that, the morning has become my favorite time of the day. Oh, good. I am completely, uh, I, I've completely turned a new leaf. Now, do you get up before everybody else? I think I do. I'm still in the stage where I lie in bed mm -hmm. and slowly um, cry about the misery of waking up so early. <laughs> but... After that, um, I, uh, yeah, no, like it takes a little while to like, you know, mm -hmm. it's still kind of like grab the phone. and. You Are know, you setting an alarm or, or is that what you're doing? Yes. What I set a hundred alarms. I set, I set, I set four <laughs> different alarms every day. And this might be a weird obsessive compulsive thing that I do, but it's just something that feels comfortable for me. I set one at 408, 502, 607. 7.02 and what? then usually 7.02 7 o'clock is usually what time I want to wake up I like <laughs> you kind of dive deeper into this psychology here Jim. I have a weird thing where I love the thought of waking up hearing the alarm and even just for the briefest of second doing the quick math of how much sleep oh, I have that'll wake remaining. you up yeah and then uh, by the time I am interrupted twice 
at four. I'm like, oh, it's way too early. That's silly. People who wake up this time are really silly. And then I go back and then the five o'clock in and around one goes off and I'm like, wow, this is also really crazy. And then the six o'clock one goes off and I'm like, this is the one I want to start getting used to. I want to get up mm. at this time. Actually, I think I want to do what you do, but I'm not there yet. One step at a time. Like I would love to do five o'clock in the morning, but right now seven o'clock in the morning is a great time. So by the time the seven o'clock alarm rolls around, I've had three alarms before then. I've felt gratified by my sleep because it wasn't all one chunk. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know. Whatever. It works for me. Are you getting to bed at a a regular time now? That's starting to become uh, easier to go to bed much earlier. Like some days I'll straight up be in bed at like 10, 30 or 11, which... Yeah, I think that can be the hardest part for people when they're trying to uh, adjust their sleep patterns is because waking up, at least in my experience, waking up was always a little bit easier because you kind of had to kind of force yourself out of bed. You could could do this, but... If you can't get to sleep, you can't get to sleep. Forcing yourself to sleep. Yeah. (laughs) Close your eyes really tight. Sleeping is the only thing we we do by first, you kind of practice sleeping to get to sleep. You know, it's like, oh, put my eyes down, (laughs) close my eyes. And you like run through the drill. And then the next thing you know, you're asleep. I've realized how difficult it is as I've tried to tell a four-year-old how to sleep <laughs> and, and she's really good she'll like at the part part where she's like out of like chances of getting out of her bed or going and whatever and she knows like this is literally it I have to lie down all the lights need to go off and I need to try to sleep and she'll just look at me with her little four-year-old eyes and she'll be like daddy I'm so bored. <laughs> and I'll look at her and I'll just be like, I don't know what to tell you, kid. I'm like, it happens quicker if you just try to sleep, if that makes any sense at yeah. all, kid. The more you put it off and the more you delay, but that's tough. What a weird piece of advice. Waking up early, like you say, is easy. Just, yeah. you know. Do you ever get insomnia? Wake up, like, say, if I have any kind of sleep disturbances, it's going to be because I wake up in the middle of the night. Maybe I have to go to the bathroom or something, and then I can't get back to sleep. Then trying to get back to sleep. And that's the harder part, because then I start thinking about things that I want to do the next day, and then my mind starts. And once my mind is awake, it's kind of awake. That only happens um, when I drink. I find that's a side effect. I don't uh, get headaches or hangovers. I don't particularly feel bad the next morning. I actually usually feel fine the next morning. However, those sleeps are just so interrupted. And there's lots of like tossing and turning and readjust. And you never just feel comfortable. And I've always, it's just always equated to nights that I've maybe had a couple too many drinks. That's one of the things I hated about drinking was I would go to bed really tired because of the drinking. I mean, oh, this is going to be so good to sleep. And then like two hours later, boom, wide awake. And it was just a really fitful sleep. How how crazy was like adjusting your social life when you first started drinking? Because it probably happened. When I first I mean, was, stopped drinking. Yeah, sorry. When yeah. You first... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, tell us when it when, when I first, first started, started drinking. drinking. That was easy. And then go through the entire process and then tell us the arc and then tell us what it's like afterwards. Go ahead. Steve. The rest of the podcast is yours. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can't. I, you know, I would never claim that drinking is stop. Stopping drinking is right for everybody. And I mean, there's there's people who 
who love to just have a glass of wine here and there. But I also find that most people who say, I like to enjoy a glass of wine after dinner, it's usually probably a little bit more than they're willing to admit. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, it sounds good, like just a glass of wine. Right. sounds sophisticated somehow, but usually that's like a couple glasses or even more. And it's like every night after dinner. <laughs> And maybe that's what it's become. Like maybe the thought of what casual drinking is, is now so far in the rearview mirror. And it's like, everybody's just doing extreme drinking where it's, we, <laughs> we just recently, drinking. It like a game extreme show. drinking. Yeah. Uh, we here in Canada just, or excuse me, I think it was Ontario just recently got new guidelines from the health department regarding alcohol. And it made huh. quite a bit of news here because it was uh, the recommended as far as the, the health whatever uh is concerned um is two drinks per week mm. and that's kind of really rubbed a lot of canadians the wrong way to your point who think like yeah i mean everybody is pretty normal to have a drink a day and you realize that you're going past the quote-unquote recommended limit but they're giving that recommended limit because uh, it's really starting to become clear all of the downsides yeah. associated with alcohol, cancer uh, issues, and I mean, let alone all of the direct drinking things, but now all of the diseases and, and conditions that are associated with it. So I guess I kind of see the health you know, authority yeah. or whatever being like, hey, like really we've started to work out the numbers and there's really no good reason to be putting this kind of literal poison yeah. that you enjoy and you keep telling yourself but i find it's akin to the influencers who spend all their time on instagram and be like it's because it's my work it's like you kind of tell yourself that what you're doing is fine yeah it's the, it's the way i unwind after a hard day yeah. well then perhaps you should and i i mean i get i like i use that excuse so i say to myself well why don't you find something else to do to unwind and that was the other resolution, which is finding more analog things to do. And that's what this is. Yeah. This podcast is very analog for me. It's sitting in front of a microphone talking to my friend. And uh, we should, we, you know, we didn't do an intro for this podcast. Welcome to another episode of Chad and Steve Have a Podcast. This is episode number, we're at number 85. Now. Are we really? We're getting close to 100. What should we do for 100? I don't know. Maybe we should do something for 101 or 99. Everybody does 100. That's overrated. <laughs> do you want to do a 99 episode? And we'll just talk about Wayne Gretzky for an entire hour. <laughs> I guess that's his number. I, I wouldn't know these hockey references. Can we do Well, hold on. You did. You, you want to do 57 push-ups to yeah, uh, on, correlate to a thing. So mm -hmm. let's... So that we should find something which is like a hundred things. Well, a hundred things we've learned. No, oh boy, that, that'd be that a lot would of be things. ridiculous. No, a hundred, our hundred favorite moments, and we'll just go through and we'll listen to all. Oh, of that's podcasts. a that's a great idea. A hundred though would be a lot to come up with. You know what? <laughs> we well, we could just come up with our favorite moments. We don't have to have an established number that's to right. it. But I would that's like because there has been a lot of. I have had a lot of favorite moments on this podcast. And one of the things I like about the podcast, is, aside from all the people we've talked to, is how many people contact us about the podcast who listened to it that surprised me when they yeah. when they contact us and they're like oh, that was a great episode i'm like wow that, like, whoa you're still listening i know <laughs> thank you for always, still listening it always surprises me you know what i wanted to bring up to you what do you think about this whole netflix business this whole okay so the backstory i'm sure everybody's heard about this deal with 
Netflix is going to apparently was going to crack down on password sharing. That was the or have, thing. have now, I believe. Well, I don't think. Yeah, they. Oh, the, here's what I get from it. And I know a lot of this from, do you ever watch Penguin Zero? Do you know, he's got the deep voice. He's oh, a yes, gamer guy. Yes, yes. So he kind of, I kind of keep up with a lot of this stuff on his. And his first video about it was describing how Netflix was going to crack down. This was an internal, I think it was like an internal memo or something that got put on their website. And if you, it was this whole set of rules that only people in the household could share a password and, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. The, uh, and other people were very upset about this whole thing. It was like, oh man, this is just, this is going to ruin Netflix now because this is, I don't understand fully, and I think I'm really in the minority here, all of this anger that came about because of this. But it, since then, Netflix, I guess, is kind of backpedaled a little bit on it and they were, they were like oh no that was a that was put up on the website by mistake this was meant for something we were testing in other countries uh, we're still going to do some form of this but it's not going to be that we're, we're cool everything's cool because they, they heard all this backlash but mm -hmm. honestly i don't understand i mean maybe you can explain it to me the backlash because i don't really understand what the problem with wanting to keep passwords to the people who are paying for the service. I can, I mean, and I'm no fan of Netflix. I think that they kind of suck and the stuff that <laughs> the stuff they're producing anymore is crap yes. and I can never find yes. anything. I'm thinking about ending my subscription to Netflix, but at the same time, you don't deserve free Netflix. You know, and the, one of the points he was making was, well, well, then if they're wanting all these other people who have shared passwords, they're not going to. He says Netflix thinks they're going to just sign up now that they can't share the password. <laughs> no, they're not. Netflix is got they're going to have a zero loss by reducing these password sharers. Steve, I think I understand why you don't understand. Yeah, set me straight on this. And I'll do my I'll do my best to draw a comparison that I at least think is apt, which is in 1990 something or other, uh, a drummer from a band <laughs> called Metallica named Lars Ulrich, Lars Ulrich yeah. um, decided to stand up and say that it was wrong for people to be able to freely share Metallica's music on file sharing platforms, FTP Napster. platforms, I believe they were called, um, uh, 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 like Napster or uh, BitTorrent, oh even LimeWire. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, we could probably go on for anyhow a Pirate Bay, any of them, the torrent websites where basically movies and it literally led to the I mean digital revolution and subscribe. I used to download stuff from those places. Netflix literally came out of the thought of you know con like traditional content being on the digital platform on the internet and i think it's because there's so many consumers now who don't remember that um anyways for those who don't remember that lars from metallica uh kind of was the most verbal uh, naysayer of these files and he was just like it's unfair he got it's so unfair. much shit for that people today older people still just hate him so here's the rub, and I don't know what the word is, but someone much smarter than me will probably be able to tell me what the word is. But it's just that 
disdain for anything which has like more money or is successful in a certain way. So therefore it then doesn't have ownership over that. Or in Metallica's thing, where it's like, because they make music which resonates with people and they form a connection with them, for some reason Metallica owes their fans something or more so sh shouldn't be, you know, fairly compensated for what their music is, even if it is way more than how much it costs them and they make a huge profit and they do a very good job at that. Like they should not be like, hey, you shouldn't be able to get our music for free. And he got demonized for oh, it. Oh, yeah. And like this was even at a time where it was like, uh, uh, you know, like uh, uh, the 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 convenience far away that everybody was doing. Everybody was just stealing stuff. I I used that opportunity to like double down on wanting to buy stuff and support things because I felt so bad downloading some of these small indie bands that I was enjoying. And then when I finally had a chance to have money, I would go to the store to buy their CDs or go to a show or find some way to support them because as a creative myself, I realized that it's like I. I get it. I, I understand I can also be successful at what I do, but at no point do I want to stop making money off of, you know, the stuff that I create. And I think I should be compensated fairly. And I think Netflix finds themselves in a similar position where it's like, we get it. You have been telling yourselves that because five people all over the country are sharing this one username and password and have a sophisticated system of trying to get out of buying five individual I mean, come on, it's what, it's 15 99 a month? Mm. Like if you, if you see enough value in your television watching and you see enough value in the, the programming at Netflix, you should probably pay the fifteen ninety nine. But maybe also akin to what we were talking about earlier where people will tell themselves the darnest things. I think people are now just telling themselves that Netflix is wrong for wanting to be fairly compensated mm -hmm. because they just make, because they're a huge company because they make so much money. So why, why do they care? Like they could just give everybody free because people are mostly dumb and don't really think about all of the gears which need to be kind of like moved forward. I think it's brilliant what they're doing and I think they should just put a tier together which is like, you want this? Here's what the price is. Here's a fair price for it. We understand five people want to group together and do a thing. Great. One transaction, you can share it with three individual mm -hmm. IPs. Or however they could make that technology. It's $39.99 a month. And you all save and you all get a group discount. And there's something which is readily available. But people running around using other people's password and using a service for free and then complaining that that service doesn't want that to happen anymore. Like they just don't like it's. It's probably just the stuff which is floating around yeah. on social media. As in, it's probably not really a real problem. Yeah. I'm starting to think be. that this is a social media problem. This might problem. be one as of those like, things, yeah. And this it, is, people in real life don't talk about this because all the people I know in real life all just pay for their own net. Like, right. I don't know any. Sorry, my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law does it 100% because that's what you do for your mother-in-law, yeah. <laughs> whatever. But we'll deal with that. Yeah. I'll, we'll pay, we'll, we'll treat her to the membership or whatever because fair is fair. She shouldn't be able to do that. We had the ability to do that, but they should have every reason to pull it back. Yeah. I think it would be pretty easy for Netflix to use a system like, it seems to me like what Spotify does and what YouTube does with YouTube Premium works out pretty well. YouTube Premium, you can establish the family circle, which has five yeah. different accounts. I think it's five different accounts you can use with it and everybody could 
can sign in yeah. to that. And I think that works out really well. It doesn't matter where you are to sign in. You don't have to be right in the actual house using the same Wi-Fi. Right. And I think this is part of the problem that Netflix people were having was like, what, you have to be under the same Wi-Fi. I mean, that's, that is pretty restrictive there, but they could certainly they could certainly fix this and not in a way that Penguin Zero was saying, well, you know what this is going to do because Netflix, you're doing this, people are just going to go back and start pirating these things and downloading them from the, and I, I don't think that's really the case. For one, it's it's a real pain in the ass to download stuff that way. I remember- Full of viruses. I remember and... having to do that. Well, not having to, but I remember doing that back in the day to these bit torrents, you know, and it could take like, 24 hours to download a movie and it was who knows and then you get the korean version or you yeah. get a, a, a version filmed with someone's video camera yeah. in a movie theater i kid you not like yeah. you would go through or you'd get viruses on your and i get that you could maybe even skirt the whole virus thing and whatever but just like you get crummy quality uh, because like how big would a 4K download be? Like that's so taxing versus just paying someone to efficiently stream it. Like I get why the model's there. I just don't think the consumer understands why the pricing structure works the way it does. I think Netflix needs to focus their attention on other problems. I think they have bigger fish to fry. And I think the main thing is that people have, have gotten tired of Netflix because there's so many other services it's so you know what it sort of reminds me of is blockbuster everybody and you know they were saying mm -hmm. that now blockbuster is kind of considering it coming back into the streaming game but mm -hmm. you talk to people and they're like oh blockbuster they're so nostalgic about oh i miss going to there and watching the videos blockbuster sucked they were the worst video company around if you wanted good videos that weren't just the generic crap that was out there you went to specialty video stores right I, small places I, I hated going to blockbuster because i always got there and they didn't mm -hmm. have the film i would want all, which was something all obscure. the new releases they yeah. would have 30 of them and they were all out yeah no i get that people have these that. really weird nostalgic Nostalgic, rose-colored glasses. They're looking at some of this stuff, and maybe they probably will with Netflix. But Netflix needs to just... It seems like they don't have a focus or something. I, I don't know. I sit. I submit they probably know that people just won't do anything about it. It's just the, the 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 cancel culture of two, three, four years ago when people kind of started doing stuff for a little bit has now just come to like you get news articles for a while, and then everybody's just going to go back and trust. Trust me. Yeah. Most people will just go end up paying for Netflix to get it working again because no one wants to sit and have their computer resources and their internet bills go through the roof because they're trying to torrent all their favorite shows, let alone try to find it. Yeah, and how would cracking down on password sharing negatively affect Netflix financially anyways? I don't understand that point because it's not like the people who are paying for it are going to, no. like, on principle stop their subscriptions maybe a few but that's the straw man which is being yeah. what i'm saying is that's being more promoted on yeah. like, on social media oh yeah it's this huge outcry but at the end of the day they know eh, you guys have seven days until you stop talking about this <laughs> exactly and then you're going to sign into your mom's yeah. netflix account and you're going to realize you don't have access to the crown anymore and guess what you're going to do you're going to break out your credit card you're going to think of my voice you're going to break out your credit card you're going to go to netflix you're going to sign up you're going to pay and and you'll get a first month free or whatever you'll get and pay for a better service. Get get Shutter. I like Shutter. 
Shutter is good. And there, there, there's Screenbox now, too. It's been around a while. It's kind of an alternative Shutter, which has like even more low-budget horror film. <laughs> Where can I find the cheesiest, like, oh. beast? horror movies i can find the cheesiest ones you can find are going to be on tubi and that's free tubi is free oh, you yeah, have to yeah, sit yeah. through ads that they throw in and i gotta say tubi does a pretty good job of throwing in the ads they they put them at kind of natural breaks so they're not it's not like oh, in the old time where it was like, just like mid-sentence there would be an ad break or something so they do it pretty responsibly now they're coming up with their own original programming which is kind of cool but man oh man they have the most obscure <laughs> stuff on on tubi it's pretty fun do they have an ad-free version can you sign up for no tubi account i wish they did actually because i think i would get it because i i enjoy tubi a lot old tv shows and stuff from the 70s and it's crazy. is there a space that really focuses on that like some good nostalgia stuff i mean i guess you're saying tubi but like tubi does uh, and a couple of others crackle used to have a few but mm -hmm. i just don't think crackle ended up getting the traction that they kind of needed to really you know what i ended up watching a few episodes of and i don't know if you've ever even heard of this show was kolshak the night stalker this was a show from from the 70s and it was darren mcgavin it only lasted one season and he would go around he was a reporter a chicago reporter who would go around tracking down like monsters like vampires <laughs> and stuff and it was kind of fun and funny and so i wanted to watch it to see if it held up because i literally have not seen this since i was eight years old 1974. 1970 okay you're referencing a show which has 20 episodes right it was one season yeah. that yeah. was it yeah. They used to okay. have a lot more episodes. And that actually isn't a lot of episodes for a series back then. I think like Star Trek, they had probably 30 every episode or every season. Every season. But anyways, it was fun watching that. And it sort of holds up. It's kind of corny looking back on it. But it was fun. Um, I don't know. A woman... A woman whose grandson was murdered by mobsters uses voodoo to turn him into a zombie. <laughs> I just and take saw revenge. that one. I just saw, and you know what was funny is that see that was the old school zombie. That was before the the George Romero Night of the Living Dead kind of zombies. Even though his movie had already been out, it, the the culture of the zombie was still this Haitian voodoo ritual kind of thing. Jeez, this is awesome. In a sn in snowy Chicago, the INS crew hold a send-off for Tony Vincenzo, headed on a singles cruise, but he gets audited instead. What? Carl wheedles his way into taking his place and ends up battling a werewolf on a killing spree. There you go. I just like... <laughs> More do you want? Oh. That. A and singles cruise, an audit. So we also got into, and, and you're you're 10 years younger than me, so some of this stuff was real nostalgic for me and Kathy, who were about the same age, and we got to discussing old 70s TV shows, and one of them that we both remembered was Beretta. And Beretta. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, you've, you've heard of it. Or you've I, seen, do, I, do rem I do remember so Beretta. So it yes. had like the most catchiest song at the beginning you know don't do the crime if you can't do the time and he had the 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 parrot or the he had like a cockatiel 
But it was Robert Blake who ended up with a lot of trouble because of his wife who was murdered. And he ended up getting acquitted, but that ruined his career. And that was back in like 97, 98, somewhere. Or maybe it was early 2000s. That was that really, it was a really, really suspicious case, wasn't it? Like it really seemed like it was him. He was up up for, yeah, I mean, everything pointed to him. I don't know if it was like an OJ thing where somehow he managed to get off, but... He, uh, he's still alive. He's like 90-something. I was surprised because I looked it up. and But anyways, the, he, that show, I thought, well, let's see if I can find it. It's not available anywhere. You can't get it anywhere So except YouTube. So there's some hmm. shows on YouTube. So I started watching one, but the quality was so bad. It was just, it was yeah. unwatchable. It was just so hard to watch. Yeah, this is from a time where... I mean, the mid-70s, goodness me. Barely had electricity back then. <laughs> God. Yeah. Those are some of the shows. I, I think that The Night Stalker was the first show I remember watching on a regular basis. See, I was into like horror and scary stuff even then, and I was eight years old. And I remember every week I was like so fascinated by the show. And then they canceled it because I think they ran out of monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with all of these elaborate plot schemes, they, I mean, that probably was a pretty huge budget back then. <laughs> yeah, it probably was. TV's changed, changed a lot. Netflix isn't doing anything to improve it. <laughs> no, they aren't. They, I mean, I mean they do come great... up with, occasionally they'll hit it out of the park. You know, they yeah. do like the Queen's Gambit and some of these shows. Clearly, and... if you throw 15 million things against the wall, <laughs> seven of them will stick. Yeah. But it is true. I mean, that's their, that's their model. It's made pitching a television show just garbage because like I remember back in the day we really wanted to like thought like really thought that a television show would be like that wonderful thing to really tie everything together as far as notability and whatnot. And then I remember going through like kind of the initial stages with a few projects and pilots and whatnot. And it just always ends up being so like far away from kind of like what you think you want it to be and like like just the production and just like how so many people are produced when you come from a land of youtube where you just like produce everything yourself and edit yourself you like are standing around looking at all of these decisions being made on every single aspect of the show and you realize how little control you have and i can see why it's really unappealing for people to kind of want to be interested in those things right now one of the uh one of the things that we talked about after the last podcast when I was about to launch our latest podcast was I was trying to put a description together and I messaged you and I was like, I don't know what to do as far as this description is concerned. And and then I think I pitched to you. I'm like, I think I'm going to let the chat GPT <laughs> do the description. So I tried it a few times with varying success. But uh, I've also heard of some other influencers literally using this now to like write Instagram posts mm-hmm. or video descriptions or all of the rest. Have you ever tried it? I Well, I mean, I've played around with it. I included it in my recent newsletter as kind of a gag as a joke bit. Um, but it's... To me, it's not really up to snuff. It, it would... It's... There's a thought that in the future... Articles will be written by AI, and instead of being a writer, we will be editors because we'll start with that as a base point that we can modify and edit. I mean, it, it sort of makes sense, I guess, but it's, I don't know, the whole, 
the play. And you know who's getting in on it. They have like a red flag alert or something they're calling it as Google. They're like scrambling now because I think Google is going to be massively changing everything about search with AI. It's kind of crazy to think with that. Like I'm at the point where it's like, I don't think I understand what the future is going to look like the way that like we interact with things. Cause we're getting to the point where so many things can just be like instantly created. We mm -hmm. came from a time of like everything needing to take so much time and whatnot. Just the, th the thought of being able to have, well, I don't know if they're perfect because to your point, there's like still lots of errors and it can still only pull from what it knows right it and that's the kind internet, of the, yeah that's the gray area with ai art because it's like you're just you're, you're taking you're taking other artists and yeah. just you know mushing it together but it's still somehow there's also there's this thought of like compound compounding disc what are they calling it compounding errors or something in other words when there comes a point where blogs and informative websites are really being written almost entirely by AI. So people will go there and click on ads, no doubt. But if, if, there's a, if there's a factual inaccuracy in that AI, it can get compounded because other AI is going to be using that AI as a reference. And so then it just kind of snowballs into this whole sea of misinformation on things. Do you do you foresee a time where just like social media gets overrun by just like everything being AI and like everything like there's there's no way to separate anything anymore. So therefore, everybody just kind of starts to ignore it because it just becomes void of originality. I don't want to be like a technophobe or a Luddite on these things. And I understand that this is the way things are going. And it's easy whenever there's new technology to kind of be really suspicious and fearful of it. But we always seem to kind of work it out. I mean, we I saw a video about how we like to outsource this sort of thing. We outsource thinking of like we have no problems outsourcing math to a calculator. Whereas, you know, there was a time where you actually had to do it on pencil and paper. And mm -hmm. we have no out, we have no problem outsourcing things that we don't want to remember, like, oh, how old is William Shatner or whatever? We just quickly Google it. You don't have to know facts like this. So I think this might be a thing where now we're just outsourcing writing eventually and that we could become more editorial. We just edit what the AI is writing. I mean, a lot of the things I've seen written by AI are pretty well written. I mean, it seems to grasp a fair amount of context and nuance. And just knowing that we're at the very beginning of this, you know, it's only going to get more impressive, I think. Um, from a search standpoint, while you've been speaking, I've been typing a few things into chat. Uh, GPT or whatever it is, openai.com, just to to find out how it's working. I, I, I got one that I just wanted to run past you. I, I put, who is the best woodworker in the world? <laughs> I asked it that. 
And I want to I want to ask if uh, what you think of this response. It is subjective to determine who the best in quotations woodworker in the world is, as it depends on individual opinions and personal preferences. However, some well-known and highly skilled woodworkers include Frank Klaus, uh, Ian Kirby, David Marks, and Michael Cullen. These woodworkers have gained recognition for their exceptional skill, techniques, and creativity in the field of woodworking. Hmm. Are those four good names of people? I only know one there? of those names. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. David Marks, because he had a TV show. I don't think he does anything anymore. But And I kind of wonder if... Are they where are that pulls from? If it comes from one specific article somebody wrote fifteen years ago, right. how reliant is it upon just Wikipedia? Like just literally scouring Wikipedia really quickly. I love the fact that when you asked it which the best, it it has like this canned disclaimer at the beginning. While the best is a very subjective yeah. thing, it's like well, yeah, of course it's it's going to say that. Um, but yeah, I kind of do wonder <laughs> where it, where it pulls all that from. Yeah, I mean, it's it really is. It's just uh, uh, it, it it it's really just regurgitating other information. Then you have to mm. understand, uh, like, then how accurate is it? Like, is it really giving um, uh, unbiased information if it's pulling from bias? So, like, then th th that's the rub. <laughs> but I think <laughs> what what's going to happen? It, this is just speculation. Is that what we're witnessing here is like kind of the Mozilla. It's like the very first stage where it's even sometimes there's too much traffic on it. You can't even get to it. And it has a very, very uh, university kind of look about this chat GPT. It's very bare bones. I have a feeling that once Google comes out with their version of it, it's going to be a game changer. It's going to be huge. And I think what's going to happen is that instead of getting a response to a Google query that is directly from a specific site with that reference, you're going to get a lengthy answer. Yeah. It'll be crowdsourced. You don't rely upon one it in the background. Use, yeah. So you basically get the best of the best. It, yeah. It's impressive to see to see how it writes. And, and of course, kids are using this to write essays now, and it does a pretty good job at writing essays. And so, you know, I've read articles where some teachers are having to struggle with this, and, and I don't know how much, how overblown that is, or they're saying, well, now we're going to require all essays be written on pencil and paper in class, you know, so you can't, you can't be just submitting that. But yeah, but then I can just use my my 3D, well, uh, maybe in class, but I saw, uh, it was on Reddit, it was someone had connected uh, the AI, uh, had made the AI write the uh, paper or whatever it was, and had their 3D printer do it in their, they programmed their handwriting, so they had their 3D <laughs> printer print out the of AI course. paper. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so that's where we're getting to. But maybe that's okay, if, if AI can write these essays, then what exactly was the value of a human trudging through that? Write an essay on To Kill a Mockingbird or something? You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Humans will be obstinate and find a way to, to like somehow be better than AI. 
hopefully this ends up becoming the war between AI and humans where it's like, okay, great, you can do that. But here's a creative way that we've gotten around that to show that, you know, we're not AI, like we're not using AI to do our, that's what I'm getting at. Like mm -hmm. people will find a new way to, to make it so that it shows the flaws of like machine learning and the fact that you don't have, we'll, yeah. we'll get more in touch with that human element. Yes. Because in the end, the AI was us all along.